athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. This is Box to Row, the dopey show on radio. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got the Randy Newman in the background. I love L.A. First of all, I missed you guys last week. Had to get away. Took a vacay with the family. Had a, a fantastic time. We were in Los Angeles. I'm gonna, You know, I, I, I love L.A. Like, I love L.A. The previous three times that I had gone to L.A., it was more business, right? 2009, 2010. The Lakers were playing in the NBA Finals. I think 2009 it was the... I think it, man, I, I, you know, I think it, I can't remember. I think it was Orlando. So I think it was Orlando. And then the next season, I believe it was the Celtics. Or maybe it was just 2009. And then I was there for All-Star Weekend in 2011, which was great. But it, it was more, it was more business, even though it was fun. Had fun, still did some of the things, went to the restaurants and you know, all of those kind of things didn't have as much fun as I had for the week. That was maybe a weekend. This was a whole week uh, plus one from Monday, in essence, from Monday to Monday. So had a, a, a fantastic time in L.A., right? I mean, listen, I, I'm going to tell you. So let me tell you about L.A. Like the Clippers played twice during our trip at the Staples Center, right? And so we stayed down. We were down on Figueroa Street, maybe maybe on the on the the side of if anybody knows L.A. Figueroa. The other side is Flower Street, by like Fourth and Fourth and Flower Figueroa again on the other side. And so I mean, the Staples Center is like right. I mean, it's right there. Like it's it's certainly less than a mile. I don't know. It may even be like you know five blocks, six blocks, something like that. It's relatively close. And you would not have known that the Clippers were even playing. I mean, L.A. is such a big city. There's always something going on. Now, I get it. Maybe if it wasn't COVID, because I think with the Clippers and then also with the Lakers, when the Lakers were still in the playoffs, I think at Staples Center was something like they could have a maximum of maybe 9,000 or something like that. So, I mean, when you don't have a full capacity, maybe – what up near 20,000 i mean it's going to be a lot of a lot of a lot less going on in terms of the traffic but really couldn't tell i mean at all and that's just how big really that la is and so i want to talk some nba playoffs to date on the program a lot to get to as a matter of fact but i mean i got to tell you about this trip uh, to LA first and foremost had a great time with the family that was first and foremost it was 
an opportunity for us to really get away. It had been, I mean, we, back in August of last year, we have may have gone, we're in Raleigh, of course, we may have gone to Wilmington for a couple of days, and that was it. Just because of COVID, we, we were being extremely cautious. And I'm not saying we threw caution to the wind. I mean, I think when you go out to L.A., I mean, it's, you know, it, it, there are obviously a lot of people, okay? A lot of people. We were masked up. We had, you know, all been vaccinated anyway. And for actually my children, it was their first time flying. So they really enjoyed the flight. We get there. We rent a car. It takes us from the airport. We're maybe 16 miles. It takes us about 50 minutes to get there. That's just that L.A. traffic. And, the thing about it, it's not like we were on the highway. We didn't have to get, I don't believe we had to get on the 10 or the 101 or the 110 or the 405 or anything like that. We went basically a, a roundabout way not to have, well, we may. So actually towards the latter part of the trip, that's not true. The latter part of the trip, we actually had to get on the highway, which took, you know, it was maybe like three miles, four miles, something like that. It took like 10 minutes uh, or whatever, but you know, we we got in, we got checked in to the hotel. It may have been time we got in, got settled. I don't know, may have been six o'clock. No, it may have been like six thirty local time. So think about it, six thirty local time. We're on the East Coast. That's nine thirty. Like for me, around nine thirty time. I'm winding down about nine thirty now. Maybe not as much over the last couple of months or so because of the NBA playoffs, because the regular season had been winding down, et cetera, et cetera. So I'd been staying up and watching these games, which have been absolutely phenomenal, by the way. Like the Bucks and Atlanta series has taken a turn and it's just been a phenomenal series, even with all of the injuries. I think that has really added to the intrigue of these respective series are the injuries. Like you got to be able to play through that. Who, what teams can ultimately play through that? Will Antetokounmpo return for the Bucks? Looking like, probably not looking doubtful, I would imagine Trey Young would return before Antetokounmpo, although when Young warmed up uh, prior to Thursday's game, he... You know, he was a little gimpy, but I mean, a couple of days rest. He's a young guy. You never know. He doesn't, he didn't seem to have, eh, well, the, I mean, his, his, you know, rolling his ankle. I mean, that was pretty devastating, just like Antetokounmpo's knee. Good thing there was no structural damage. I just think, and right now, the Bucks do have the three to two series lead. Game six is going to be in Atlanta on Saturday night. That's going to be a big time game. It's going to be a great crowd for Atlanta. It's going to be a full house. Atlanta has played well at home, extremely well at home. And Nate McMillan, like we're not giving Nate McMillan enough credit. Like Nate McMillan is going to make the adjustments. You remember we had him on the show back the 1st of April. He had been on the job, I guess. He took over, what, March 1st. So had been on the job a month and already had turned Atlanta around. Nobody was expecting Atlanta to beat Philadelphia I know a lot of people were not expecting the Hawks to beat the Knicks. As I've said on this program many times, the Knicks were a better story than they were a team. was no doubt about it in my mind that the Hawks would definitely take the Knicks. But now 
taking the Bucks to a game six at home? I mean, this is a great story. I, I think we're not giving, I, well, I don't think that McMillan is getting enough credit for what he has been able to do with this team. And I think you, we'll see because, again, like I asked him, I mean, it was just bizarre in a lot of respects in terms of what happened in Indiana. And wouldn't you know it, Nate Bjorkgren, they fire him after one season. So I think he's doing a great job. He's going to make some adjustments for game six. I think Atlanta wins game six, and then anything can happen, certainly, in game seven. I want to get back to some of my L.A. stories, but we're going to talk uh, a little bit more about the NBA, about that matchup. We're going to talk some Suns and Clippers also a little bit later on in the program. So let me get back to my L.A. stories, right? So actually on Wednesday, we we drove from L.A. to Vegas. And I'm going to tell you, that's not an easy drive. It's about a eh, without traffic, which we made sure to leave at about 530 West Coast time. So it was still, you know, not it was still a little bit dark when we left. We got. Uh, and, and actually, I say 530 may have been may have been may have been five o'clock. So we get there maybe a little bit before 10 uh, to Vegas. But it was a rough drive because it's not just a straight shot. I mean, it's a straight shot when you're talking about the route you go. I can't even think of the route now. Was it? Boy, I can't remember the interstate now. But in terms of having to go up the mountains and through the mountains and up and down the hills and the valleys and all of those kind of things, it was a. A really, really tough drive. And, you know, one of the other things I learned about L.A., like everything starts late in L.A. And I don't mean because we're on East Coast time here and, you know, maybe it's, it's you know, it's, it's noon, East Coast time, 9 o'clock. No, things don't, a lot of things don't really get popping off in L.A. till like 11 a.m. Same thing in, well, same thing in Vegas. Like there was a, a big arcade that the kids wanted to go to and we get to Las Vegas about 10 o'clock. Well, this place doesn't open till one o'clock. Right? That's a whole three hours. The tables, right, where you can sit down, play 21, whatever the case may be, didn't open until like, and I, my wife really likes to play, like two o'clock, something, maybe three. So everything West Coast time, at least LA, Las Vegas seemed to open late. We enjoyed ourselves immensely, won a couple dollars, as a matter of fact, <laughs> in Las Vegas, right? Kids had a great time. We had a great meal, right? We came back. Uh, our other time spent in L.A. included going to a Dodgers game. As a matter of fact, Friday night, we were behind the plate, more towards the left, but towards the bottom. Absolutely tremendous, tremendous seats. Dodgers beat the Cubs 6-2. to two. We saw four home runs in the game between the two teams. It was a phenomenal game. Uh, we ended up going to what? Malibu, right? We rode the Pacific Coast Highway uh, to Malibu. I mean, the, the views on the Pacific Coast Highway. And I didn't, get, uh, I didn't get the views like my family got the views because I was driving. But the views are phenomenal. We stopped in Malibu, um, you know, and then during the course of the trip, we went to Santa Monica to the Santa Monica Pier. We went uh, to Venice Beach. 
which was interesting in of itself. L.A. is a different, I must say, L.A. is a different kind of place. We went to Long Beach, right? We drove to Long Beach. Uh, we're into these records. If you listen to this show, you know that. We went to the VIP uh, record shop in Long Beach, the one that uh, was highlighted in the Gin and Juice, the Snoop Dogg Gin and Juice video. Phenomenal, phenomenal time in L.A. And if you want to see, have some pictures on, on our my Instagram page, as a matter of fact, at where Donald if you want to check those out. More NBA talk, NIL talk, a little bit later on also in the program as Box to Row rolls on. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Roll, founder of Marjorie's Speed Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every $1 million orders that we receive, our company is giving $2 million away to the bottom of 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll. So come place an order at www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. That's www.marjoriesbeefjerky.com. Marjorie's Beef Jerky is the best tasting beef jerky on this planet. Marjorie's Beef Jerky. Yeah, that's right. Because that's the way we roll. Still to come, some NBA talk, but former Bethune-Cookman Athletics Director Lynn Thompson is up next. Missed any of our shows? How about our conversations with some of the biggest names in sports and entertainment? Check out Box to Row podcast at BoxToRow.com or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. Let's continue here on Box to Row. We are joined by a gentleman, as a matter of fact, 30 years, count them, 30 years as, in essence, the athletics director at Bethune-Cookman. He's a 1980 graduate of then Bethune-Cookman College. Thursday was his first day of retirement. Let's look at some of these accomplishments. During his tenure, Bethune-Cookman teams, 71 championships, 54 of those MEAC titles. He was the 2020 NACTA AD of the year, also the first black chair of the NCAA Baseball Rules Committee. We could go on and on. As a matter of fact, you know, the, the MEAC has been doing these 50 greatest of all time lists well. If they did a 50 greatest ADs of all time this gentleman would be near the top of the list. He's Lynn Thompson, joins us here on Box to Row. What's going on? It's an honor to have you back on the program, Lynn. Man, I'm so glad to be talking with you, Donald. Uh, glad to be. I always listen, and uh, now it's uh, an honor to me, uh, for me to be talking with you. Absolutely. So Thursday was your first day uh, in of retirement. What, what did you do on your first day? I mean, 30 years. That's a long time to have been at Bethune-Cookman. You've accomplished, obviously, a lot. <laughs> uh, actually, on my first day of retirement from Bethune-Cookman, I was at Bethune-Cookman, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, I, went, I went into the campus. I went on, uh, went on the campus, went to the office, and uh, actually uh, turned in some keys and uh, met with them. And uh, after 40 years, uh, 
of being affiliated with another league and uh, and was there uh, to witness a couple of ceremonies as the uh, as the you know the, as the league um, logo changed from MEAC to SWAC and so I, I was there for a couple of those things and and just shook a few hands and then I uh, came back home to spend some time with my my oldest daughter who is an award-winning uh, theatrical director and he she's been in town with me for a couple of weeks just chilling with dad man that's awesome but you know what's in it right you you mentioned of course now the bethune cookman uh going to the swag i mean that's going to be part obviously of your legacy as well as the ad uh mm-hmm. that that was instrumental in that happening yet you never dipped your toe in the swag well i mean was that was you know july uh, june 30th your last day was that by design um, not, not really, you know, it's just the way it worked out. Um, you know, Dennis Thomas and I were talking about that. I also talked about it with my good friend and fraternity brother, both of them are fraternity brothers of mine, uh, Charles McClellan. Uh, it's just the way it happened. You know, uh, yes, I was, uh, a part of the team that, that did the research and, and led Bethune Cookman to make the decision, uh, to leave the MEAC after 40 wonderful years and, and instead of going east, we decided to go west. Uh, it was time, and it was an institutional decision that was made on a variety of levels, from the trustee down to the cabinet, down to the to the real organic levels of uh, coaching and student athletes and students. And uh, and and little did I know that uh, that the, the good Lord and my family would tell me uh, several months later that your season is over. And uh, I was smart enough to realize it that. Uh, you know, after listening to my family, which is, you know, I've had the, the pleasure, Donald, of working with some great teams. But the greatest team there is is a team of family. And I listen to my kids, you know, and, uh, and they said, Dad, what else can you do? We'd really like uh, to spend more time with you. I've got a granddaughter. Uh, my son is an athletics administrator. He's the director of athletic marketing at Tulane, and, you know, and he just said, Dad, what else can you do? Uh, and I want you to be able to dream and, and, and do some things that you want to do. And if there are some challenges that you want to meet uh, outside of uh, the journey at the Cookman, now is the time to do it. And then, you know, after prayer and consultation, uh, the good Lord said, your season is over. Yeah. And so I had to be wise enough and obedient enough to, to realize that and, and accept that and, and move on. And, and in doing so, um, right now, some, some new opportunities are, are coming my way that I'm beginning to address, and I'm so happy uh, right now to rest because it gives, you know, after 30 years, you got to exhale. And so that's where I am now. I'm exhaling right now no, and, uh, and really picking some things in, though. Absolutely. No question about it. Some of us, uh, you know, I want to I dig deeper into that. I mean, I, look, some of mm-hmm. us are going to say, well, you know, some of us have said, well, of course, you know, uh, Bethune-Cookman was going to make the move to the SWAC because, fam, you made the move. I mean, that's that's just talk, right? Why, but why? I mean, I got you on the line. Why was it advantageous for Bethune-Cookman, to your point, after 41 years to make this move from the MEAC to the SWAC? Well, uh, we looked at a variety of factors. Number one, <clears throat> we looked at the shift in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, across the national landscape. And as you know, you've seen for the last, what, five or six years, you've seen conferences changing. Uh, We did also an opportunity, we took an opportunity to look and see 
where did we want to recruit a lot more students from? And uh, while we've had some success uh, on the East Coast, uh, we also saw some real opportunities going west to uh, further the brand of Bethune Cookman University uh, going west. And then we looked at uh, uh, the league, the, the, the MEAC. We looked at uh, the growth of the SWAC, the footprint of the SWAC, uh, with the possibility of it coming into Florida. Uh, believe it or not, we had some discussions about four years ago uh, and, and did some preliminary looks into uh, and had some overtures about some other leagues several years ago. Uh, and and at the behest of our board of trustees, they asked us to make some, some strategic decisions in terms of taking hard look at where we want it to be in the, in the next five years. And so having to undergo that series of, a, of analysis, we really – uh, dove into things. FAMU did the same thing. Uh, we did not follow FAMU. Right. Uh, we wanted to make sure we were the best Bethune Cookman that we could be. And in doing so, uh, you know, those discussions ensued. The, the SWAC said that we would love to have Bethune Cookman as a part of the SWAC. We'd love to have a, a big footprint not only in the state of Florida, uh, in the Panhandle, but in central Florida where we are residing. And so it worked out. We did the study. And uh, our fan base um, just fell in love with it. And uh, it was nothing against the MEAC. We love the MEAC. In fact, uh, I, I fired off on our last day an open letter to the MEAC family thanking them for 40 years of partnership, fellowship, and championships. And, uh, and that's the way we were raised to do that is to say thank you when we leave, you know. And so that's what happened. Um, and, and we are excited. Uh, and I, when I say we, even though, I've stepped aside. I'm still a wildcat at heart. Yep. We are excited about what the future holds for Bethune Cookman and its athletics program moving west into the Southwestern Athletic Conference. Len Thompson, now former athletics director uh, at Bethune Cookman, spent 30 years. First day of retirement was on Thursday as he joins us here on Box to Row. I, I mean, I look at the accomplishments and I look at this again, the 71 championships, 54. <laughs> MEAC titles. I mean, so you know we're you know we're here in Raleigh. I mean, you Bethune Cookman reminds me is the Division One uh, akin to Shaw University in this respect, doing a lot with less. A historical background with mm -hmm. uh, Mary McLeod Bethune founding mm -hmm. uh, the university. You don't have an on-campus football uh, stadium. The, the, the gym's, you know, one of the smaller ones in Division One, very much akin to Shaw at Division Two. Speak, however, to the success that you've been able to have at Bethune-Cookman, maybe working with a little less than others have, and what do you feel like is your greatest accomplishment as the athletics or at, 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 well, when you were the athletics director? Well, let me, let me just say this first. Um, <clears throat> you called uh, Shaw University a great university, and you're absolutely right. A, a small university, a one that gets it done regardless of what the budget or enrollment may seem like. Uh, I don't care what school you call. It could be UCLA, Notre Dame, Penn State, Hampton, FAMU, Morehouse, Bethune-Cookman, when you cut it down to the core, Donald, schools are made out of two things, buildings and people. And we just could not afford to focus always on buildings. And so I had to turn my energy to the people. Because at the end of the day, the buildings are not going to graduate you. It's the 
people who are going to have the impact on the lives of our young people and our students. And so we endeavored to make sure that we had the right staff, the right support personnel around our student athletes. And that is what Dr. Bethune did, the values, the legacy. And, uh, and when we recruited our student athletes, I made sure I met with every student athlete on their official visit because the buck stopped in my office. And I had to make sure that they knew it as well as their parents and that regardless of whether or not we had all the buildings, we had the right people, and that is what parents wanted to see. They wanted to see that the people were invested in the lives of their young kids, and that is what really was the secret sauce for us, is that we could surround their kids with the right types of people who were authentic, who were passionate, who were full of integrity, and had the capacity to teach sports and life lessons and family values. And that is what worked for us, and that is how we were able to build a continuous um, string of championships and championship moments, and it continues to this day. But as it relates to my greatest accomplishment, it is simply that, uh, a tree of successful people who believed in our vision and who understood that uh, this was not a job, Donald. It was a ministry. And uh, we uh, were able to have staff continuity. Uh, if you look at our website and find our, stu- our, our, our staff, our coaches come, they stay. They come from all around the country, come from great places. But it's something about what we do and how we do it that makes sure that these people come and stay. And they invest their whole families into this great um, tapestry we call Bethune Cookman. And that is how we were able to win uh, track championships with no track. Uh, how we were able to win the MIAC basketball championships and how our coaches are able to leave here and get major jobs. Vanessa Blair Lewis leaves Bethune Cookman and goes to George Mason and quadruples her salary. Ryan Ritter goes goes to Tennessee Martin and Marvell Melendez leaves and jumps three levels. You know, and, and because we are able to get great people who just happen to be phenomenal coaches too. Talking, hold the line for me one second, Lynn. We got a legend mm-hmm. on the line, the former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman, Lynn Thompson, joining us here on Box to Row. We've got more with Lynn Thompson on the other side. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to, you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. Bubba Wallace. They feel like I'm throwing a race into the context here. and It's not about race. He's a driver at the end of the day. Everybody's making it about race. It's all about the headlines these days. Not me saying like, yep, I'm the black guy here. You're going to stop hearing about me. It was more along the lines of the fans like, hey, it's cool. I've been dealing with that for, for a while. He's Spike Lee. Thank you. I haven't heard that. I mean, I've been on rails all over the nation. Thank you for that question. I'm a third generation Morehouse man. I was taught to speak your truth and that there's very special about being a Morehouse man, the same way you feel about your school, the same way we feel all about our respective historic black colleges. That would have been my first choice. 
anyway, and I'm proud to be a Morehouse man. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from Davidson to now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. And, uh, it's a great story, and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. Ron Rivera, you know, a great player. Did you see yourself as a coach? I've been told a lot of times by a lot of people, boy, you know, you're kind of like a coach on the field. I always felt at some point, yeah, I'd probably get into coaching. It all started because of my son wanting to play football. The one and only Michael Strahan. Always good to talk to you. Hopefully next time it won't be, what, 14 years. You get to <laughs> people to be better and do better and, and that's what i love man so thank you i appreciate you i'm talking about none other than common well i ended up in sam just because i wanted to major in business and sam you had the illustrious school of business then i found out that business was the key that's what i wanted to do dave roberts manager of the la dodgers to be person of color and be the manager of the dodgers what does that mean to you? well i think the first thing that comes to me is responsibility with recency and, and kind of the social, the racial issues that we're having that really come to light, which is, I believe, are good things. I think that it's a responsibility for me to be the first manager of color for the Dodgers. There's not many of us in baseball. To do things the right way, to hopefully give others, other people of color, opportunities. Hopefully it just paves the way. So I think that for me, I, I definitely look at it as responsibility, but something I'm willing to undertake. Omari Hartwick. And that's crazy that you say that. I got one of your colleagues and one of your contemporaries and that being Stephen A. He hit me about three weeks ago and he texted me and he said, oh, how did I miss this one? But it's equally been a beautiful thing for me to see how much you guys who work in sport are fans of me. But for you to like it as much as Stephen A. said he liked it and all within the last three weeks, you both are commenting on it. I'm in good company. We're, we're HBCU guys, you know. I know I'm in good well, company. Of course, bro. <laughs> Shout outs to Howard University. NBA All-Star Chris Paul. That was great to bring it back to one Salem State University, a uh, black college. Something that my city had never seen before, may never see again. And just having a up close and personal feeling with LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Melodes. It was exciting. I'm grateful for those guys coming out. She's Simone Biles. Ashley was really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Allie had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, like, we're in the best shape of our life. We're feeling confident about our body, and we hope that other young girls and women, like, feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because it was against his religion. Mm -hmm. All the top black athletes together along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh man, thank you for having me play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. Kyrie Irving Playing at Duke for Coach K, what was that like and how that prepared you for the league now? Playing 11 games, you know, a lot of people think that's not a you know, big package for you to become a better player, but for me it was. Playing for Coach K, he gave me the keys to, to the car and I was driving it in first eight games and you know, being a part of something special like that and having the brotherhood built at an institution such as that one is an experience that you never forget. Ice Cube has been our guest. Hey man, thanks for letting me talk a little music, movies, and sports. Hey, my favorite three topics. From the press box to press row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU Sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's from the press box to press row.
Real Relevant Radio. BoxToRow.com is your source for conversations with and content on some of the biggest names in sports, HBCU sports, and entertainment. BoxToRow.com. We're back here on BoxToRow. We're talking with former Bethune Cookman Athletics Director Lynn Thompson. Like he's so so big. He, you know, the, the correct title was Vice President for what was it? Vice President for Intercollegiate Athletics at Bethune. I don't want to shortchange you now. You know. That's all right. Yeah, that's what it was, but I was simply the AD. You know? <laughs> we've, we've got him on the line. We're talking about a lot of what he was able to accomplish at the, uh, as the athletics director at Bethune-Cookman for 30 years. I, I want to switch gears a little bit, Lynn, and I want to talk about NIL or, uh, you know, the, the name, image, mm-hmm. and likeness uh, situation. Which, by the way, the, the day – that's another thing. Like the day you retire – Right. Or your first day of retirement, I should say that comes into effect. I want to just get your overall thoughts on NIL. Okay. well, uh, you know, NIL is has been a long time coming. Okay, And um, it was a a battle that the NCAA was never going to win. Um, I, I served on the I served on the NCAA committee on athletics. Of the Committee on Academics for uh, the past four years, and we wrestled with that, and uh, we saw that, that it was coming and there was nothing we could do about it, and uh, and so we, we had to get ready for it. Uh, and two and a half years ago, uh, Bethune Cookman became the first HBCU to engage the services of probably the nation's top athletic branding company, Influencer. And uh, and we, we signed with Influencer two and a half years ago. Our then director of athletics Branding uh, Jasmine Alston was able to bring them to the table with us, and uh, and we had those discussions about NIL with them then, uh, and um, and we knew that we had to prepare our student athletes and our institution for the day that uh, NIL would would really come to fruition. And lo and behold, the state of Florida followed the state of California and and enacted legislation that July one of this year would come into effect. And it did. And uh, the rest of America followed suit. And so, you know, student athletes, more so than, uh, uh, I guess, most other, the closest young people that I can relate this to would be those students who are in the performing arts. And and I really compare athletics to the performing arts uh, all the time because, let's think about it, uh, you know, the, 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 the field is the stage. The playbook is the script, and the student athletes are the actors, and the coaches are the directors, and they've got to perform. And, of course, the audience happens to be the fan base, and you've got to perform. And so what you do uh, influences so many people. And if you are a young musician, then you can control uh, your, your branding. You can produce an album. And there's so many things you can do. And the day has come where student-athletes now have that opportunity to, to determine their worth uh, in so many other venues other than athletics. And with that in mind comes an awesome responsibility, and that is uh, financial literacy uh, and so many other educational responsibilities that the institutions have to uh, bear the responsibility of, of, of shouldering uh, for the student athletes, 
that is really what most institutions are wrestling with now. If a student athlete comes to a uh, an institution and is a five star student athlete, he brings along with or she brings along with with themselves probably already a fan base, probably some handlers, maybe a legal team, and some sponsors. And uh, up until recently, institutions did not know how to handle that. And it was a violation of NCAA rules. Now, uh, that was, you know, uh, now, according to federal law, you are, you are in violation of federal law because you are prohibiting this young person from engaging in free trade. Well, now we've got to allow them to take advantage of that because it feeds themselves and their families. And so I'm in support of that as long as we can also provide educational components because many of the student-athletes who look like us uh, have the opportunity now to break generational curses, to, uh, to, to provide for not only themselves but other members of their families and to, uh, to really break themselves out of a, a continuous cycle of poverty uh, and economic conflict and as long as we're able to provide for them and provide them the educational components, I think that we'll see a level of economic success that we've never seen before. Uh, but we're also going to open ourselves up to some possible uh, ex- exploit uh, and some people who are not going to be honest in this process, and we've got to prepare ourselves for that as well. Yeah, I think that's inter- I mean, no, I, I think that's interesting. Let, let me look at the other side of this thing because I think, mm-hmm. you know, to the point. I mean, I think athletes getting student athletes getting paid is a whole separate deal that's still going to be mm-hmm. have to be dealt with. But I mean, at least with the in the old NCAA model, it, it was a situation where it was supposed to be sort of even across the board. As far as it relates to student athletes, nobody gets paid. Now you have a situation where some student athletes are going to be able to make money off their name, image, and likeness, and probably yeah. most are not. So, I mean, how, how how what do you what do you say to that? Uh, well, let me you know. I, I guess it's a I guess it's a vestige of capitalism, where you either got it or you don't. Okay. Well, let me tell you what we were discussing on our campus at Bethune. <clears throat> Let's talk about jerseys, okay, and shoes. Um, we we had made a preliminary decision that we were not going to put the names on the back of jerseys anymore uh, because uh, you see in pro sports at the end of games, what do you see? You see the athletes take their jerseys off and toss them in the stands or they trade them out to a, uh, a, another – athletes from another team at midfield, you know, so that they can use that as a souvenir. Well, schools like Bethune-Cookman and probably most HBCUs or limited resource institutions, we don't have, uh, we don't have an inventory room full of those jerseys, you know? Right. And so, uh, so we wanted to make sure that, that the student athletes understood that that is not your personal property. That is property of the institution. And if your name is on it, that still does not mean it is your personal property. And, uh, and we had to dry, drill down to that level to educate our student athletes that you are still representing the institution. Now, we will also engage with you in the process of teaching you how to manage your brand. 
And let's say, for instance, Donald, you, you find a student-athlete in North Carolina who is a mass comm major and is, is a soon-to-be star, and you decide to give that kid a feature on your show. And that kid hits it big and has a social media base of 10 million people and finds a way to monetize that and is also a student-athlete what happens to that student athlete uh, if he or she is able to generate a hundred k a year simply from being on box to row? Um, and and how then do you manage that uh, safely and make sure that that kid is able to maintain amateur status, maintain compliance with NCAA rules, and also be able to compete and still provide that service? for you and with you as a part of box to row and so uh that means you have to have a relationship with the institution you have to be in a a a framework of of really protecting the interests of the kid but also your brand is your show and so that is what is going to be transpiring for every student athlete on every campus and the compliance programs on every campus are going to have to manage that for every student athlete on every team on every campus. And it is going to be a lot of work. And so that is what uh, college athletics is going to look like in the immediate future. And it started today. Yeah. Lynn Thompson, now former athletics director at Bethune Cookman uh, joining us here on box to row. So what, you know, what does it mean? Like, I, I saw where um, a kid from, and I don't know if they, there may have been some more since, but the, a kid from Jackson State signed, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with the, with the hair product. Uh, it was, one, as a matter of fact, the first student athlete to, in fact, do so. Uh, what mm-hmm. does it mean for our, meaning HBCU, you know, student athletes moving, moving forward? Specifically. You know, I think, I think I'm proud of what has happened at Jackson State. But uh, I, I want to make sure that that HBCUs are not held responsible because they cannot generate those same types of sponsorship and branding opportunities for student athletes, uh, and 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 are not and not really uh, criticized for that because it is market driven, and also. Some of those opportunities are really geared towards individual student athletes. And what is going to happen is inevitably a, an institution uh, based on where that institution may be located, uh, the market they're located in, the historical value of that institution, and maybe some of the personalities who work at that institution may have some leverage in terms of creating those types of opportunities while others may may have significant success, there may be a few others who may not have as much success, and as a result, may not may be, may get lost in the dust from a recruiting standpoint. And you're going to see now kids signing scholarships based on how much money can I generate by signing with your university. Very well said. Last thought: You grew up in Daytona Beach, uh, you, mm-hmm. 1980 graduate of Bethune-Cookman, 30 years as the athletics director. To your point, you mentioned, I think, 40 or 41 years associated, you know, with the university. 
Um, mm-hmm. What does that mean? You know, and to be able to take the university to the level that it is now, what has that meant to you? Oh man, it is. It has been. Um, it has been a very humbling experience to see the growth uh, when you look back and when you hear people talk about um, what we've been able to do. And, uh, and I wrote this in a blog that it has not been the people, but it's been the vision uh, of what we have had and people who bought into the vision and, and the shared vision and the work that people believed in that allowed us to accomplish so much with so little. You know, I mean, you've been there with us, Donald. You've been there to broadcast games. You've been in our press boxes. You've seen it. And, um, and, and, and but let me tell you what I'm most proud of also, that <clears throat> there were people uh, through our Cat Eye Network and the, and the multimedia stuff that we were able to put on who thought that the film uh, was a very rich university and a huge university simply by the way we branded ourselves. And only people who knew how small we were, uh, how small of a staff we had, uh, really knew that uh, we didn't have a whole lot. We just were proud of what we did, and we looked like we were rich, <laughs> you know. And we just we just wanted to make sure that we that we uh, we branded ourselves as champions in everything that we did. Uh, and so when I look back and see where Bethune Cookman was and where it is now. Uh, we are just so proud that we've based our image uh, on winning championships with, with dignity, with pride. And even though we are small, we are a university that's been small by design. You know, we never endeavored to have ten to 12,000 students. We wanted to make sure that we were always a manageable enrollment so that we could be personable in our approach to teaching young people. And, uh, and we won because we were able to reach and teach student-athletes the right way. And I think that if we are able to continue to do that, then our legacy will continue. Yeah, I mean, it's so many things that you were able to uh, accomplish. You mentioned the Cat Eye Network. Rest in peace to Mike Johnson, who, I mean, just – yeah. You know, phenomenal man. I mean, I remember when uh, you know W E L E. He was he was there was was carrying our show. Matter of fact, still carrying it, but he was very instrumental right. uh, in that. You founded that, and you're right. I mean, it was big time to the point. I think that because of what you were able to do, it enabled now Bethune Cookman to now own W E L E. One of the thank you. That is correct. Yep, Bethune Howard Voorhees. St. Augs, I believe the only universities to own commercial radio, HBCUs to own yeah. commercial radio stations. Lynn Thompson, now former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman for 30 years, enjoying his retirement, joining us here on Box to Row. Lynn, it's been a pleasure. I know we'll continue to talk, man. Continued success in all you do. Thanks, Donald. A lot to break down there. More name, image, likeness, and NBA talk on the other side. Hello, my name is Precious Rose Dunlap, and this is my mother, Michelle Timlake Rowe, founder of Marjorie's Beef Jerky Incorporated. We would at this time like to thank our new customers as well as our repeating customers for your business. For every one million orders that we receive, our company is giving two million dollars away to the bottom amongst 400 of our paid customers. You see, that's the way we roll! 
So come place an order at Marjorie's Beef Jerky. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Our thoughts and prayers here on Box to Row are with those who have been affected by the condo collapse in Surfside, Florida. What a tragedy. Our thoughts and prayers are with those who have been affected by that. So Chris Paul and the Suns, when the defeat the Clippers, now move on and await the winner of the Bucks and the Hawks, which will wrap up, which could wrap up, I should say, on Saturday. And so for Chris Paul, what does this do for his legacy? Like when you look at Chris Paul, I mean, I can think back to a couple of years ago. He was in OKC, had that massive contract. Things did not work out in L.A. He's off to OKC. And even before that, it was like, it. you know, he was up in age, not real old, but up in age. And it was like, man, this may be the end of the road for the Winston-Salem, North Carolina product, but he's got that drive, reinvented himself, made OKC better last year. The Phoenix Suns now, he takes them all the way to the NBA Finals. What does that mean for his legacy currently? Because he still has an NBA Finals to play. What does it mean for his legacy currently now that he's finally made it to an NBA Finals? I think, I mean, I think it, 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 uh, it, it upgrades, if you will, to some degree his legacy. But he's got to finish the deal. Like he's got to finish the deal ultimately. Chris Paul getting a ring will make, I mean, he, you can argue he's already, I mean, he's going to be a Hall of Famer, no question. I, I don't, you know, I've heard of, of, you know, some of the numbers. I mean, when you look at the numbers and you look at what he's done over his career, I mean, he's definitely a Hall of Famer. When we talk about great point guards of all time, is Chris Paul in that conversation currently? Depends. I mean, it depends. Are you talking top 10? Are you talking top 15? I mean, we're talking about the likes of a Magic Johnson, you know, Isaiah Thomas, uh, we're talking about John Stockton. I mean, we're you know those are the ones that immediately come to my mind when I think about greats of all time. Is Chris Paul in that category? Well, I mean, not not I don't know, yeah, not yet. I mean, definitely not yet. You look at Thomas Isaiah. You look at Magic. They both won championships. You look at Stockton. He did not win a championship, which is probably the knock on his legacy, but he still had an absolutely outstanding career. He's got to finish the deal. This definitely takes it up a notch because the knock was, well, he couldn't even make it to the NBA Finals. Well, I'm not going to say he carried that team, but 41 points in game six on the road, that's big time, right? When When you have a team that's young, you have a Devin Booker who isn't exactly 100%. DeAndre Ayton is on the rise, no question about that. I mean, Cameron Payne, wow. You know, a guy that played his basketball in the OVC is playing well. He's like really elevated those guys. He's got to finish the deal. He's got to finish the deal, but right now, Chris Paul is sitting pretty. And I believe he can beat either the Hawks or the Bucks. I say he, but the Suns as a team can beat either the Hawks 
or the Bucks. I want to get back to name, image, and likeness. I think Lynn Thompson, the former athletics director at Bethune-Cookman, had some great things to say. This is where I stand. Like, I'm, I'm, I mean, I guess I'm okay with it. Like, when it first happened and it was big news, you know, I'm, I'm in, the NCAA is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. For me, I think the one thing that the NCAA did try to do in some respects, and we know that other things happen, but they tried to level from a legal standpoint and an NCAA compliance standpoint. They tried to level the playing field where no student athletes can make money. That's not necessarily the situation right now. I've argued against paying student athletes outright. I'm more for a stipend. This, I mean, it still doesn't solve the issue of paying student athletes. Okay, it still doesn't solve the that's you know we've we, there's a step that's been taken in terms of student athletes profiting from their own like image and likeness. Should you be able to in the real world? Yes, you should. Do students in schools do that? Yes, they do. This is a different animal when you're talking about collegiate athletics. And yes, the the big time schools make huge amounts of money off of collegiate athletics. The smaller schools, not so much. I mean, really, when you look at across the landscape of college athletics, there are not a lot of programs that actually that are actually in the black per se that are like making real money. I think what it does, though. Uh, you don't make money necessarily from athletics per se, although some schools do. But what you make the money from is the exposure that college athletics creates, particularly when you're talking about college football and basketball. There's an exposure aspect when your games are shown on CBS or they're shown on Fox or they're shown on ESPN or they're shown on ABC. That makes it so when people are watching those athletic events, it puts your school or the respective school in the minds of those parents, those prospective students, et cetera. So you're able to also get money that way. So that all that to say, you know, I've, I've been for stipends. I'm not a big fan. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not against this uh, image and likeness deal. But again, I think what the NCAA had put into place in terms of, of student athletes not getting paid across the board, uh, I I was okay with that. But now you're going to have some student athletes that are going to make some money off their image and likeness, and you're going to have some student athletes that aren't going to make money off their image and likeness. I've always been against paying student athletes for a number of different reasons. One of the reasons is that, I mean, I think you're talking about 18, 19, 20-year-olds 21-year-olds, not mature enough yet. You would have some strife, I think, on some teams. Not all teams, but I think you would have some strife where you're trying to – the common goal is to try to win a championship, to have some success. If somebody's making money, you're not making money. I mean, that – you know, I think that causes an issue from a payment standpoint, and I believe – I don't know if that causes an issue as much. I think it may raise the, the, the level – of 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 where student athletes and how they participate and how good they are in some respects but you could be great. I mean, you could be the greatest. 
mean, I don't know. I mean, like, you could be the greatest polo player to ever play collegiate athletics. Does that mean you're going to be able to make money off your name, image, and likeness? Not necessarily. So it's not a great move. I think the NCAA is still going to have to address paying student athletes. By the way, the NCAA ultimately, I mean, ironic enough, right, on the day that a lot of the states said this is going to be what it's going to be, uh, said, okay, this is our new rule. You <laughs> Student athletes in the NCAA can make money from their image and likeness. It's an interesting topic to continue to discuss. I'm going to be interested to see how ultimately it plays out and ultimately where things fall with paying student athletes. Hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, if you have any thoughts. So the Bucks and the Hawks, Bucks lead the series three games to two, get the win on Thursday again, game six on Saturday in Atlanta. And I expect Atlanta to be a lot better. I expect Nate McMillan would have made some adjustments. Think if you're Lou Williams, I mean, and again, who knows? Maybe Trey Young comes back. Maybe he's available. We'll see. Does it, it, it'll make a difference. No question about that. I, you know, I, I, I thought the Hawks played extremely well in game four. Okay. Um, just couldn't duplicate that in game five. I think they'll come back and play much better again. The home crowd going to be on their side. I think it goes to a seventh game in Milwaukee. Anything like I mentioned can happen. It just depends upon if you're saying, okay, who right now? It's hard to say because when you look at the two stars, they were out for two games, right? Well, they've split. I think I like the way Atlanta plays, even though it didn't play necessarily that great on Thursday. I like the way Atlanta plays as a team without its star compared to the Bucks without its star. I, I, you know, I, from a talent perspective, I mean, when you got, you know, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, I mean, they got, I mean, they have some players. I mean, Bobby Portis really stepped up. I mean, not that that was a huge surprise. Like if you really follow the NBA, you know that this guy can give you buckets. Can he do it again on Saturday without more than likely Antetokounmpo? That, of course, remains to be seen. Anything, I think it goes again. It's gonna. I think the Hawks are going to win. Anything can happen in a game seven, and ultimately we're going to have to see how things play out. July 1st was a big, big day for HBCUs. So Bethune-Cookman, Florida A&M move over from the MEAC to the SWAC. North Carolina A&T moves over from the MEAC to the Big South. And Xavier of Louisiana moves over from the Gulf Coast Athletic Conference to the Red River Conference. Texas College uh, is in that Red River College or Red River Conference as well. It's a big day for HBCUs in terms of movement from one conference to another. Got to get ready to run here on Box to Row. Thank you to former Bethune-Cookman Athletics Director Lynn Thompson for joining us on the program. I'm going to be out again next week. Got to get some time in before I'm telling you guys. Got to get some time in. Going to take a little time off uh, before football season really kicks off. Uh, college football season, looking forward to that. Looking forward to the National Football League as well. Got to get my time in. So I'm going to do that on next week. Uh, but great content 
great information on our website. Dwayne Ross, the interview with him, the director of track and field programs at North Carolina A&T is on our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Yo, from the press box to press row is presented by DW Communications.